with Bud Light losing $5 billion in one week because of the backlash they are dealing with for teaming up to erase women, we have to stop and ask ourselves: will the people responsible for this ever be held accountable for taking M. Heiser Bush's stock to a rock bottom? I don't see anybody taking responsibility, and I'll tell you why in this episode. Also, in the news, we also have Elon Musk asking a BBC journalists why they are lying to their viewers on live TV. All of this and more on this episode of the Demetrius Rujo Show. Starting off, we have Elon Musk in the news, and it wasn't because of something that Tesla or SpaceX did. Instead, it was because Elon Musk sat down with a journalist on BBC News, and the BBC News journalist asked him a few questions. One of the questions he was asked was, why Twitter was such a hateful place now. What hate speech are you talking about? I mean, you use Twitter. Right. Do you see a rise in hate speech? I would say I would see more hateful content in that. In that content way. you don't like or, or hateful? What do you mean to describe a hateful thing? Yeah, I mean, you know, just content that will solicit a reaction something that may include something that is slightly racist or slightly sexist, those kinds of, those kinds of things. So you think if I'm, something is slightly sexist, it should be banned? I, no, is that I'm what not, you're saying? I'm not saying anything. In response, he said, what do you mean? Do you have any examples of the hate going on? In return, the journalist draws a blank. This stuff, particularly around, um, particularly around hate speech um, in the company. Do, do, is that well, something that you want to address? You're talking about? I mean, you use Twitter. Right. Do you see a rise in hate speech? I mean, I, I, just a personal anecdote. Like, what do you do? I don't. Personally, my uh, for you, I would see I get I get more of that kind of content. Yeah, personally. That's but, what I'm asking for examples. Can right? You, can you name one example? I, I honestly don't. You honestly, you I don't can't name I, a single example. I'll tell you why. Because I don't actually use that for you feed anymore. Because I I just don't particularly like it. I only look at my, my followers. You said you've following. seen more hateful content, but you can't name a single example. Not even one. I'm not sure I've used that feed for the last. Three or four weeks, and I. Well, I how did you see the hateful content, content? Because I've been, I've been using, I've been using Twitter since you've taken it over for the last six months. Okay, so then you must have at some point seen that you for you hateful content. I'm asking for one example. Right, and you I, can't I, give us a more. And, and, and I'm saying, I, I, then I, I say, sir, that you don't know what you're talking about. Really? Yes, because you can't give me a single example of hateful con content, not even one tweet, and yet you claimed that the hateful content was high. Well. That's a false. People will say all sorts of nonsense. I'm literally asking for a right. single example, and you can't name one. Right, and as, as I've already said, I don't use that feed. But let's, well, how let, do you know? But I don't you, think this is getting anywhere. You literally said you experienced more hateful content and then couldn't name a single example. Right, and as I said, I, That's haven't, absurd. I, haven't, I haven't actually looked at that feed. I then would how would you know there's hateful content? Because I'm saying that's what I saw a few weeks ago. I can't give you an exact example. Let's move on. That's because there's nothing new happening on Twitter now that wasn't happening before. That's a good and a bad thing because Twitter is so similar to how it was before. Complaining about getting hate doesn't hold any water because that's what always happened. With that being said, we're going to be moving into a dozen takes. Starting with the first article, we actually have a Daily Wire article. The straight hate on Bud Light is real and these sales numbers show that. For nearly as long as it existed, Budweiser has been America's beer. Its ad campaign has always revolved around that. Baseball, NASCAR, and the weekend cookout. Bros just brewing out. But that was then. Budweiser first brewed in 1876 and is now owned by a Belgian company, AB InBev. 
and the Bud Light Vice President of Marketing, Alyssa Heisenskold, has declared the brand's post-marketing efforts as, quote, out of touch and, quote, fratty. I'm a businesswoman. I had to really clear up the job when I... I had to really clear... I had a really clear job to do when I took over Bud Light, and it was the brand in decline. Is in decline. It's been in a decline for a really long time. And if we don't attract young drinkers to come and drink this brand, they will be no longer a future for Bud Light. Inskud said. Her comments were made before it revealed to the public that Bud Light decided to partner with transgender influencer Dylan Mulvaney, and a bi- and which is a biological male. Mulvaney recently marked one year of a fake womanhood, so Bud Light celebrated the occasion by creating a can with Mulvaney's face on it. Well, you might think, who cares? But it turns out that there was an incredible amount of blowback from a caravan move to cash in on the ever-growing Look At Me, I'm Tolerant campaign. Consumers, customers across the United States revolted against Bud Light, according to bar owners and beer industry experts around the country. Quote, I think society flexes its muscles sometimes and reminds manufacturers that the consumer is still in charge. Jeff Fritter, owner of Case and Bucks, a restaurant and sports bar in Barnhart, Missouri, told Fox News Business, in Bud Light's effort to be inclusive, they excluded almost everybody else, including their traditional audience. Therein lies the irony. Beer has been a more of a macho drink. Women can, of course, drink it. But beer has been associated with men standing around talking sports and punching each other. Now, before you move on to cancel me, that's just how it's been. I didn't make it happen. Women have a nice glass of red wine. Men hunk down a bud which happens to be the nation's top-selling beer brand. But, oh boy, did the male, the men on Bud Light Fitter sales of Anheuser-Busch's bottled products, it dropped 30% over the last week, with draft beer plunged 50%. It wasn't just Case and Bucks that saw low sales of Bud Plummet. Buehouse owner Alex Clarkis told Fox News that 80% of Bud Light drinkers ordered something else this week, while the 20% who did order the beer wasn't on social media and haven't heard of the situation yet. A national beer industry analyst told Fox News Business that Bud Light's move was a, quote, bad decision that defied virtually every rule in building brands and marketing. The analyst cited a scenario in Texas where Bud Light has long sponsored a weekly dart league that draws more than 100 players every Thursday. The bar usually blows through three kegs of Bud Light at the event, nearly 512-ounce glasses. This week, the bar only sold four bottles of Bud Light. That's it. Four bottles. Never mind a keg. Never mind two kegs. Never mind three kegs. No. They only sold four 12-ounce glasses. But there was more than just evidence. Emheiser-Busch distributors placed fewer orders of Bud Light after it launched its gender propaganda, according to a beer business daily report reviewed by Fox News. We've reached out to a handful of AB distributors who were spoked most 
particularly in the heartland of the South. And even then, in their more rural areas, the popular beer industry trade pop publication wrote, it appears likely Bud Light took a volume hit in some markets over the week holiday weekend. Whether it lasts or whether the public publicity sparks incriminally offsetting demand from the, over the ideological divide in metro areas remains to be seen, the publication wrote. Oh, it'll last. So I completely agree. I completely agree with all of this because of the fact that Bud Light is going to go and cancel itself and then complain that people aren't being inclusive. Oh, you're not being inclusive. You don't like my beer. No, we don't like your beer because it tastes like shit, first of all. And second of all, your politics don't make anything better. Sec Moving on to the next article, we actually have a Daily Wire article. We have security docs on Biden's Ireland trip found on Belfast Street. Okay, so now we see documents from the Hunter Biden administration everywhere. You go into your Walmart, on the shelf is Joe Biden's documents. You go into your garage, Joe Biden's documents are right there waiting for you to close the, the garage door. You go into the bathroom, oh, Joe Biden's documents are right there in the toilet paper holder. Wait a second, you go in your shower, what's coming out of the faucet? It's Joe Biden's documents. Documents that are supposed to be security and top secret but instead joe biden just places them everywhere because he places it down and he forgets that he put it there just like hunter biden forgot his laptop at the repair stand so i think it's a reoccurring thing that the biden administration has no idea what they're doing whatsoever authorities in northern northeastern ireland are investigating after secret security documents of president biden's visit were laying around in the street in belfast the Police Service of Northern Ireland, PSNI, papers discussed plans for road closures and local police departments. A United States law enforcement official confirmed its authentic authenticity to USA Today. And a Secret Service official told the news outlets and agency tasked with protect protecting Biden has full confidence in our partners. Stephen Nolan reported that a listener in his BBC radio show, identified as Bill, was the only one who made the discovery. The listener called into the show and said the security itinerary, itinerary showed the names of officers and contact information. The Twitter account for BBC's radio alters Nolan show shared an image of what appears to be a Crumpled page marked official sensitive with certain passages blocked out. PSNI said it was conducting an investigation into the security breach, according to the Telegraph. Biden made the trip to Northern Ireland this week to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, an accord which effectively put an end to a 30-year period of near-constant sectarian violence known as the Troubles. Then President Biden, the president met with British Prime Minister Rishi Shock and delivered a speech at Ulster University on Wednesday, urging Northern Ireland to not go back to the violent streak. After noting that recent shooting of a detective, Chief Inspector John Caldwell, the new IRA, a splinter group of the IRA 
has claimed responsibility for the attack, according to the Associated Press. MI5, the United Kingdom security agency, raised the terror threat level in Northern Ireland to severe at the end of March. The Belfast Telegraph reported la- over the weekend the police uncovered a suspected bomb pilot to upstage Biden's trip. The drama was found at the security found security itinerary in Belfast comes at the United States government scram as the United States government scrambles to respond to what appears to be leaked Pentagon classified documents circulating online. In a statement over the weekend, the Pentagon spokesperson said the Department of Justice is working to access the validity and national security impact of the documents. The source of the apparent leak remains unclear, but the Department of Justice has opened a criminal investigation into the matter following a refusal from the DOD. No, and I completely... I completely see what you guys are saying in this article, Daily Wire. I completely see. Because it's just an incompetent embarrassment that Joe Biden can't even keep his his classified documents locked away and keep it so nobody finds out what he's even talking about. I mean, what what he's talking about or what he's saying or what he wants to do. Nobody should have access to any of these documents. Now, moving on to the next article, we actually have a dozen takes. Moving into the first article, we actually have a the Federalist. We actually have Fifty Shades of Justin Pearson. So, if you don't already know, Justin Pearson is a is one of the Tennessee Three that got ousted because of the fact that he rioted at the Capitol building. So, sorry, not sorry, but if you dare to think that perhaps Pearson might be faking it, congratulations, you're a fraud. Raider works. Hilaria Baldwin, Hillary Clinton, Elizabeth Warren, Justin Trudeau. There's a long list of white Democrats who love, love putting on a rhetorical blackface to try appearing less white, more ethical, ethnic, and more authentically ethnic. Hilaria Baldwin, knee Hillary. Howard Thomas famously became Spanish after a single semester abroad in Spain, despite not actually being Spanish and living her whole life in the United States. Justin Trudeau is a subject matter expert in all forms of blackface, as he demonstrates whether he done he duns Italian father and dot Mulfi Sandy Cortex theater kid from Westchester and rebranded as a fiery Latina to win her seat in Congress.
As he demonstrates whether he dons Indian father and dot Mulfi, Sandy Cortez, theater kid from Worcester, was rebranded as a fairy Latina to win her seat in Congress. Who is the audience for this clickbait performance as well? The usual suspects, of course, middle-aged liberal white woman. Those lonely ladies gobble up fake ethnicities, feel-good cultural stereotypes, and white guilt that, like they're gobbling chocolate-covered antidepressants. Fifty Shades of Paradoxical Oppression is their trillionaire trillion of choice. These rapid, vapid virtue signalers have been discovered their own has just recovered discovered their own new culture warrior of the week a man who makes their rusty interns churn a man who sends a tingle up their leg to body parts they haven't felt like since they first saw barack obama at the 2004 dnc convention the object of their adulation is a 27 year old tennessee pub politician named justin pearson pearson is enjoying wi- worldwide fame at the moment as the most visible member of the Tennessee Three. Three local state representatives who incited an insurrection inside the state house in favor of gun control after a school shooting on April 3rd. When I first saw Justin Pearson in his 1970s drip, I just thought it was a joke. Were the 70s really that this back? Did I need to buy myself some cork back platform sandals and start popping lewds? Pearson is a state rep by day and a preacher by night. Here's one of his recent sermons. At a Memphis Unitarian Universe church that began with a prayer to, quote, Mother God, and an invitation to, for dead ancestors to speak through him. To anyone who hates this essay, please note that it was written by my dead ancestors speaking through me. Blame them, okay? Pearson also sports a chemically huge Spaceballs-sized afro that towers over his narrow frame. It acts like an Angelo halo for his unassembly diversity, divisency. He delivers speechless speeches in the Maleficent candidates familiar to everyone, anyone who has attended a black church in the Deep South, employing a song, sing-song voice and a pul- pulpit-pounding performance. As some of his superfans super noted in my tweet about him, this is how black preachers talk, okay? What's the big deal, racist? Preacher's gonna preach. That's fine. The mother God is working through him and filling him with holy, woke spirit. When does it live, seem a little odd for him to do the same bullpip-worthy performance in the context of his job as a, the virtual speech he gave in the State House last week? And we're going to actually listen to the difference. And you are seeking to expel District 86's representation from this house in a country that was built on a protest in a country that was built on a protest. You who celebrate July 4th, 1776, pop fireworks and eat hot dogs. You say to protest is wrong because you spoke out of turn, because you spoke up for people who are marginalized. 
You spoke up for children who won't ever be able to speak again. You spoke up for parents who don't want to live in fear. You spoke up for, for, for Larry Thorne who was murdered by gun violence. You spoke up for people that we don't want to care about in a country built on people who speak out of turn, who spoke out of turn, who fought out of turn to build a nation. I come from a long line of people who have resisted. Okay, so I'm so glad that they cut it there because this is just disturbing. I mean, if you think that I'm being too harsh on him, let's see what he used to sound like back in 2016. Hey everybody, I'm Justin J. Pearson, and I'm running for president of BSG. There are a few reasons that we're running this campaign this year. One has to do with representation. How can we represent all voices in a conversation? I want to do this by partnering with organizations from the Boone Democrats to the Boone Republicans. I want to bring together different voices, dissenting voices, voices that may be more liberal or more conservative, in order that we can reach a point of sort of the radical middle, where conversation and dialogue happens and growth happens. Right now, we have tensions on our campus that can only be resolved by understanding one another. And creating those forums and those spaces will be a part of the legacy I hope to lead as the BSG president. BSG must also work better as a liaison between students and administration. Not working for administration, but bringing the concerns, the values, and the beliefs of students by listening and engaging with the student body to administration, not okay, for- Okay, stop him right here. Okay, so but you can hear the difference. Okay, so obviously there's a big difference and it's not just what he's saying, it's how he's saying it. It's the whole accent, it's the whole facade. Well, like this article continues to say, fake it till you mean it. Fake it till you make it. If you remember Arsenal Hall doing his preacher character in the Coming to America, or I saw the Robert Townshed call 80s comedy Hollywood Shuffle, you might be forgotten, forgiven for thinking Pearson's persona is all a bit much. The hair, the disco ties, the suits, the Candace, is he for real? Or is he... Or is he doing what I can only call a modern-day minstrel show for clout? If you dare to think that perhaps Pearson might be faking it, congratulations, your fraud raider works. As podcaster Esme Tiracy notes, Jordan Pearson was a normal middle-class clean-cut black college student in 2016 when he ran for BSG president. He spoke about bringing together liberals and conservatives to meet in their, quote, radical middle, and waxed lyrical about the importance of, quote, hearing every voice. I'm sure Bowdoin student body is a bit different now, but when I was applying to colleges, I didn't even bother with Bowdoin. I wasn't nearly white enough. I didn't own a rugby shirt. I've never rode. I don't, I couldn't pronounce Coxwin. I hated Ultimate Frisbee. Okay, so this is what they say. But when you see and hear Jordan Pearson today, you think, who groomed him? Who decided to brownwash him to be less Bowdoin and a lot more boondocks? As Ian Stepman puts it, answer, Princeton. After Bowen, he won a spot at his elite public policy and internal International Affairs Junior Summer Institute at the Woodrow Wilson School, a grooming program for future political leaders. These scouts are looking for the next Obama the way basketball scouts seek the next Michael Jordan. So far, all we've gotten is a Canadian Obama, Trudeau, 
gay Obama, Buddha judge, and American psycho Obama News Newsom, whose Obama impression remains undefeated. Some may insist Pearson is just code switching. You ignorant white person, okay? You can call it what you want, but it's still putting on the performance. Code switching involves adjusting one style of speech, appearance, behavior, and expression in ways that will optimize the comfort of others in exchange for fear treatment, quality service, and employment opportunities. Research suggests that code switching often occurs in spaces where negative stereotypes of black people run counter to what they were considered appropriate behaviors and norms for a specific environment. Code switching, of course, is what Obama excelled at. He used a different accent depending on where he was. Hillary Clinton sometimes tries to code switch too, to hilarious effect. But what Pearson is doing is not code switching. His newly developed preacher persona has no off switch. He's in full black pan panther mode at work. Not just on the weekends, he's at the Hilaria Baldwin of Colin Kaepernick's. He was his quote white Bowdoin persona a survival survival mechanism, or was that the real Justin? the nice suburban middle-class son of the prosperous minister. And I completely, I completely agree with this whole entire article. That's why I love the Federalist. The Federalist has this and hits it on the net, on the head. Moving on to the next article, we actually have another Federalist article. We have, we have for $80 billion and counting, United States taxpayers have bought a bloody stalemate in Ukraine. At some point, the bipartisan Washington census in favor of funding the Ukraine war has to tell the American people what we're buying. The trove of recently leaked intelligence documents related to the Ukraine war should prompt Americans to start asking tough questions about our involvement in that conflict, which one of the documents at a February 23rd overview of fighting in Ukraine's Donbass region describes as a grinding campaign of attrition attribution that has reached a stalemate. United States taxpayers have poured nearly $80 billion into the war over the past 14 months. At that point, are we allowed to ask whether a stalemate is a grinding campaign attrition is a good deal for Americans? Above all, Americans should demand the bipartisan Washington census that supports indefinitely funding the war. Explain that our strategy is define what the American interest is in it. The detail how they plan to achieve something beyond an inter interminable war of attrition that risks pulling in us into direct conflict with nuclear armed Russia at the very least. The American people deserve more than ins insane platitudes from Anthony Blinken about Ukrainian victory and standing united with Ukraine for as long as it takes, as if total Russian defeat and withdrawal is a realistic outcome. The classified documents led, lend some urgency to the, these questions because they reveal, among other things, a severe shortage of air defense weapons in Ukraine, so severe that it could mean the difference between an ongoing stalemate or a Russian victory in the coming weeks or months. Without adequate air defenses, Russian rear war planes will be able to bomb Ukrainian positions at will, which is which in turn might make Ukraine's planned spring offensive po impossible. No wonder then 
that earlier in the month, the Biden administration pledged $2.6 billion in fresh air defense systems to Ukraine. What the documents also suggest, as if it hasn't become obvious by now, is that the war has not been unbroken chain of brilliant underdog battle field victories for Ukraine and crushing defeats for Russia, as the corporate media and the Washington political establishment has led us to believe. It rather seems like a, a chaotic and indecisive butchery of on both sides, with weapons and cash pouring in not just from the United States but from all over the world, sustaining a large-scale war of attrition which no, with no end in sight. Behind the scenes, according to the leaked documents, United States officials are predicting only the modest ter territorial gains. From Ukraine's big spring counteroffensive, the recent surge of the United States weapons and air defense systems is notwithstanding. One of the mo results of the slow, grinding warfare has been the rapid expenditure of mountainous at least the Ukrainian side, the United States weapons stockpiles are now badly depleted. And our defense in industrial base is taxed to the point that they have been unable to deliver some $20 billion in promised military supplies to Taiwan. This is of course this of course raises the question of China, which the Biden administration, along with the Republican leaders in Congress, refuse to talk about candidly in context of the Ukraine war. What is the plan if and really when Beijing decides to involve invade Taiwan? No one seems to have an answer or even seems willing to acknowledge that it's a problem. Nor do our political leaders have an answer to the increasingly obvious reality that the United States sponsorship of Ukraine is pushing Moscow into Beijing's arms and helping accelerate the China-led coalition to challenge the United States dollar to reserve currency status and usher in a truly multipolar world. Meanwhile, economic uncertainty prevails at home, here at home, with inflation continuing to hit American families hard, United States, bail, United States banks failing, and a talk of an impending recession setting markets on edge. As mentioned above, since Russia invaded Ukraine last February, American taxpayers have given Ukraine about $80 billion and counting. That includes nearly $50 billion in direct military assistance, many orders of that magnitude more than we even give our closest allies like Israel, which just got $3.3 billion in military aid in 2020. Setting aside the larger question of how this war will end, spoiler alert, it's almost certainly going to end with the negotiated political state settlement there's the narrow, narrower question of what exactly the American taxpayer has been purchasing with this largesse. The Ukrainian state is famously corrupt, which hasn't changed under President Zelensky, and indeed might be far worse now given the sheer volume of United States dollars washing through the country. Is Ukraine going to emerge from its functioning democracy allied with the West, a reliable partner, and not dangerous welfare case? Is there any reason to far, so far to think that this will be the case? No, there isn't. No, and I completely, I completely agree. No, they were a complete shade 
of a country. They were very, very bad. If you had a business there, they could just take your business. It didn't even matter. There's no rules and regulations. Now, having billions of dollars of the United States taxpayers into the country did not help any situation. And why isn't there a transparency about the aid that in cash we've sent? We've told by the White House National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby that, yes, there are indeed a small number of United States Special Forces operating inside Ukraine, but there's all but they're only there to help, to help us work on accountability of the material that is going on and out, out of Ukraine and not fighting on the battlefield, preferably, preferably, that should mean that we have clarity about the where weapons and cash are going inside Ukraine. But if that's the case, no one in Washington will talk about it. From where the situation stands now, it seems like the United States taxpayer has unwittingly brought but nothing more than a bloody stalemate in Ukraine, one that increasingly runs a very ri real risk in ending in a nuclear showdown. Absent a hard push from Washington for peace negotiations, the one thing our leaders seem unwilling e to even consider, we're left with bad options all around. Escalation and in in a viable United States involvement on the other hand, or total abandonment of Ukraine on the other. Now, I think that we should just get out of here. The United States got what it needed out of this war. Now it's time for us to skedaddle. Now, moving on to the next article. We actually have a Daily Wire article. We have James O'Keefe releases video of female inmates revealing about what transgender inmates do. James O'Keefe released a video on Thursday evening in which two female inmates at the Washington State Correctional Center for a Woman, WCCW, discuss male inmates allegedly abusing the system by claiming that they are transgender. O'Keefe said that the WCCW has been, quote, the tip of the spear with inclusivity in the prison system, as he went on to explain that OMG News went to great lengths to protect the identity of the two women by significantly altering their voices and blurring their faces. The video identified the inmates as inmate 1 and inmate 2, and it was not clear how or when the in interview was conducted. So, we have men rapists, men murderers, child rapists, men who have killed women and are in prison for raping and killing women who get put in our rooms, inmate 1 claimed. Imagine coming into your room one day, and you're closed in custody, and turn around and there is a man standing there peeing in the toilet because you have the bathroom in your room, in CCU. There's nothing you can do. I know there's some having sex with women that there were, there was like assaulting, but no one reporting it, inmate one said. Some of these men who are not confused they are just manipulating the system. It's not equal because we don't get the same care and treatment the trans get in here. Inmate one continued. They later, they cater to the trans community. All I can say is that you are a woman that you now, when you are in the county, say that you identify as a woman and you come straight to here from, from county. The guys don't even have to go to the men's prison first. Inmate number one said that some of the men who are getting put in the prison by claiming that they are transgender were doing so just so they can have sex with female inmates. There's nothing you can do but say 
you're going to kill yourself and then go down to the crazy units to get out of that room. Inmate number one said. And if you refuse to go back in there, you get a major, you get a double, you get in trouble. I told all of this to the accountant, accountant secretary. Inmate number two said that the that normally in correctional institutions, people are segregated like sex officers, usually sex offenders, are not in the general population. They're always in their own. My safety is now in jeopardy because I cannot voice my freedom of speech, but that doesn't apply anymore because now you're impelling and implementing this new gender equality role that forces us to conform to what they want us to believe in about their transgenders. Inmate number two said, I've heard some of the men talk about how they would get how they want to get a girl pregnant so the girl could form a lawsuit against WCCW and say that he raped her and he's willing to go along with it. He's pretty much the mastermind behind his own scandal. And it's been a few of them who's sat there, who sat and talked about their certain types and things to do in order to get a, so the slang world, slang word, that they're calling it is the million dollar baby. The million dollar baby play. Inmate number two said, that's the that's the slang term that they're using. Um, a lot of the men in the in men's institution are literally coming up with strategies in order to conform to the transgender thing. Inmate number two said, they're taking all the necessary steps to have this in order to get the applications and the lists and the things that they want to go through the whole process is just get here just do that we don't have a voice we don't have a leg to stand on anytime we voice these types of things we're met with ridicule targeting bias punishments and solitary confinement inmate number two con concluded by saying that the wccw has poor medical services and that the women have a much harder time getting their medical needs met while transgender people do Let's watch this video here. It's about six minutes, but we don't have to watch the whole thing. So we have men rapists, men murderers, child rapists, men who have killed women and are in prison for raping and killing women who get put in our rooms. James O'Keefe, OMG News here. Have you heard of the Washington State Correctional Center for Women, which has been in the news for its policy to place men who identify as women in the same prison, sometimes even the same cell, as biological women. Imagine coming to your room one day and you're in close custody and you turn around and there's a man standing up peeing in the toilet because you have the bathroom in your room and see to you. What? There's nothing you can do. What you just heard and what you're about to hear are multiple inmates describing their experiences with transgendered women, formerly known as men, <laughs> within the women's prison. WCCW has been the tip of the spear with inclusivity in the prison system. To protect the at-risk individuals involved, we've taken steps to conceal the identities of the sources and the inmates. I know there's some having sex with women. There was some, like, assaulting, but no one reported it. It's normally an institution who has segregation that always going to apply. No matter what institution that you're at, all across America, but somehow in this institution, they are adapting ways to apply these so-called mandated laws that came out of nowhere 
to prohibit segregation for certain individuals. Let's just say sex offenders. Usually sex offenders are not in general population. They're always in a population of their own. Some of these men are not confused. They're just manipulating the system. But it's not equal because we don't get the same care and treatment that the trans get in here. Yeah, because you don't think it's special bras, special everything, special... Everything. They kind of cater to the trans community. All you have to do is say that you are a woman. That you, uh, now, when you're in county, say that you identify as a woman and you can come straight to peer from county. You don't, the guys don't even have to go to the men's prison first. What? Some of these men know that they're men. They're not trying to be a woman. They just say that to come here, to have sex with women during their prison sentence. There's nothing you can do. Yeah, no, this is just disgusting. I mean, especially when they're not even, they're not even giving the time of day to the actual women. They're just, they're just going along with whatever the transgenders want them to do. And that's completely disgusting, especially in this prison where you're so confined. Mm -mm. That's not fair at all. Moving on to the next article, we actually have a CNN article. We have concurrent criminal and civil cases subject Trump to unpersuasive unprecedented legal pressure this is according to cnn he's back in new york on thursday under a dark legal cloud to answer more questions about his conduct a week after becoming the first ex-president to be charged with a crime last week trump pleaded not guilty in a case arresting from a hush money payment to adult film star he's expected back in the city where he made his name to give a deposition in a separate civil case, alleging that he and three adult children falsified Trump organization, three of his adult children falsified Trump organization accounts in a years long fraud to enrich themselves. The two trips encapsulate the conveying legal battles that they are putting Trump's one Trump's time honored strategy on delay, denial, and destruction to its ultimate test. The barrage of legal jeopardy doesn't mean the ex-president is guilty of anything. And he denies wrongdoing in all cases. Of course, why would he say that he's he's guilty? But it shows that at least Trump, as well as some of the people involved in amplifying his, quote, election misinformation after the 2020 election, may be forced to answer for conduct that critics and politician political opponents have long argued files in the face of the law. Lies in the face of law, truth, and decency. That's according to CNN. CNN, you cannot even be talking about law, truth, and decency. What, what kind of decency does CNN have? Moving, skipping a little bit ahead, the most serious legal threats may be here to come. Remarkably, these cases may not be the most serious legal jeopardy bearing down on Trump. He is waiting to find out whether he is he will be indicted in the special counsel probes into his forwarding of classified documents and his behavior leading up to the United States Capitol insurrection on January 6, 2021. See, it's funny that they say insurrection on January 6. How about the insurrection on March 31st, 2023? 
We're not going to talk about that. Okay. And Trump and supporters involved in the democracy damaging. <laughs> democracy damaging. Following the 2020 election. Still don't know whether they will be charged in yet another investigation. This one's in Georgia. Over his attempt to find just enough votes to try to steal President Joe Biden's victory in the swing state. Okay, so CNN. It's it's just so stupid. Okay, so whenever the left says stealing our sacred democracy, they, they just mean liberalism. That's the only thing. If you, if a any candidate wins that's not a Democrat or a left-leaning politician, then that's stealing the democracy from them. So you just replace democracy with liberalism, and that's the same exact thing. They just mean that. Every time they talk about democracy, oh, we need to restore democracy around the world. No, you just want to replace whatever everyone else in the world is believing, and you have you want to force your left-leaning politics in in liberalism on them that's exactly what the leftists want to do now moving on to the next article we actually have an msnbc article appeals court partially blocks trump judge's abortion pill ruling curbs male access um Update April 13, 2023, 12.08 p.m. Eastern Time. The Department of Justice on Thursday announced they will seek emergency relief from the Supreme Court after the Fifth Circuit <coughs> Court of Appeals panel upheld part of a ruling limiting access to abortion drug mifepristone. A federal appeals court ruled late Wednesday that the commonly used abortion drug mifepristone can remain available, but with stricter rules for access, partially blocking a Donald Trump-appointed judge's order in Texas last week. Okay, so what does it have to do with Donald Trump? Just because he appointed him? Okay, yeah, we can we can give him the credit, I guess. But the thing is that, how about we use the judge's name? Like, how, did you want to do that, CNN? The, no, because there's an agenda. The decision by a three-judge panel of this Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals rejected part of the United States District Judge Matthew Kaskrick's extreme ruling last Friday. Okay, extreme ruling. Extre what kind of extreme are you talking about? We're, we're talking about either you have the opportunity to kill your child or the opportunity to not kill your child. There's, there's only one, I mean, I guess there's no middle ground, so I guess they're kind of right when saying that there's an extreme because there's the right answer here, not killing your child. And then there's a very far-fetched extreme idea that you could possibly kill your child. I mean, that's what you could be talking about here. So, I mean, I can kind of see why they would use extreme ruling. Yeah, extreme ruling, but it's the right ruling. But the panel led by two Trump appointees agreed with Kasserich's in ruling against more recent FDA action starting in 2016 that include allowing male access to the drug instead of requiring in-person pickup. Okay, so now you just want to ship us in the mail using FedEx, UPS, or USPS drugs that kill our children. Okay, the bottom line is that for now, we are looking at abortion restrictions courtesy of Trump judges. Thank you, Trump. But this is a fast-moving issue, and there may, may well be further charges as the appeal continues. The case will next go to another panel in the fifth circuit arguably the most extreme conservative court in the country yes 
but for further lit lit litigation. The new Fifth Circuit panel will be bound by Wednesday ruling. The Supreme Court could have the final word on the matter in any event. In the ruling, in its ruling Wednesday night, the panel said that it appeared that the statute of limitations blocked anti-abortion plaintiffs from challenging the 2000 approval, but the plaintiffs could challenge the FDA's actions starting in 2016. The panel split two to one with the Trump appointees in the majority and a George W. Bush appointee in dissent, saying she would have temporarily blocked Kessler's ruling in full while litigation continues. The federal government and the drug manufacturer Danso appeared Kaskari's order from last Friday that he put on hold for a week, allowing the government to try to block it from taking effect. A longtime abortion opponent. That's why the plaintiffs brought the case to him. Kaskari based his opinion proposing purporting to halt the long-used drug approvals on shouty data. Anti-abortion rhetoric and debris legal reasoning. The Fifth Circuit panel on Wednesday endorsed at least one some of the reasoning, showing that it was still extreme in his own right, even if it didn't go as far as Keskerik. Okay, so nothing's too far. We're talking about killing babies or we're talking about making them survive. There's no extreme ruling. That is that is not great enough to kill to to um you know save that baby's life. Um let's see. Okay, let's move on to the next article. We actually have a Federalist article. We have for eighty billion dollars in I think I read this one. Yeah, we read this one already. Moving on to the next article, we actually have another Federalist article. Biden's alternative Afghanistan history needs a reality check. Biden won't take responsibility, but his legacy is clear. 13 American civil service me members died. At least 1,000 Americans left behind enemies' lines, and millions left to suffer under the Taliban. Last week, the Biden administration hid behind the long Easter weekend to release its report on lessons learned from the deadly and disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan. Instead of providing accountability for Biden's failures, the White House blamed President Trump for and public servants. The White House report seeks to rewrite history with, sanitized, with a sanitized story and projects the withdrawal of an operational success. The report is full of misleading claims that carefully ignore the facts. There, there were many flimsy arguments. I picked out just 10 to illustrate how the president is breaking his campaign pledge to take responsibility from, for his actions. In February 2020, the United States and the Taliban reached the Doha Agreement under the United States agreed to withdraw all United States forces from Afghanistan by May 2021. The Taliban agreed to refrain from attacking United States troops, but only as long as the United States remained committed to withdrawal by the government's the agreement's deadline. Reality, the Doha Agreement imposed seven conditions on the Taliban for the United States to withdraw our, our troops, as General Mark Milley testified to Congress in September 2021. The Taliban broke six of these conditions. It is entirely misleading to suggest that we had to withdraw on an 
arbitrary timeline when the Taliban didn't hold up its side of the bargain. Claim number two. President Biden was facing President Trump's near-term deadline to withdraw all United States forces from Afghanistan by May 2021, or the Taliban would resume its attacks on the United States and allied troops. President Biden told George Stepanovich on August 19, 2021, that he will still he still would have withdrawn from Afghanistan even if the Doha agreement had not been signed. Claim number three, President Trump ordered direct talks with the Taliban without consulting with our allies and partners. Reality. Representatives in the United States, United Kingdom, France, Germany, Italy, Norway, the European Union, and the United Nations signed a joint statement welcoming the Trump administration talks with the Taliban. Claim number four. The intelligence community's assignments in early 2021 was the Taliban's advances would accelerate access large portions of Afghanistan after a complete, complete United States military withdrawal and partially led to the Taliban's capturing Kabul within a year or two. As late as May 2021, the, assi the assignment was still the that Kabul would probably not come under serious pressure until late 2021, after the United States troops departed. Reality. The House Foreign Affairs Committee's Afghanistan report found that President Biden has received several intelligence assignments that the most likely scenario was a partial or total collapse of Afghan forces by the early to late fall of 2021. Claim number five. Throughout the spring and summer, the National Security Council, the NC. An NSC staff hosted dozens of high-level planning meetings, formal rehearsals of the withdrawal, and tabletop exercising to explore their scenarios for the evacuation as part of the responsible planning for a range of conigrees, even those that were actually worse than the worst-case predictions. Reality. The Biden administration waited until August 14, 2021, just hours before the Taliban seized Kabul, to begin making key decisions about evacuations, including the establishment of transit centers in third countries. Uh, claim number six. In May, NSC staff held a senior itinerary interesty meeting that included a discussion of several specific complex issues related to an in evacuation, including the timing evacuee destination sites, processing, vetting, and transport logistics. The reality. The Biden administration reported reportedly ignored warnings that it was moving too slow to evacuate former interpurators and other at-risk allies, ignored an offer from Guam to serve as an interim processing facility and rejected an offer from Pakistan to have a facility there serve as a transit facility for evacuees. Claim number seven, even as, the, as many embassy personnel returned to the United States, we sent more consular officers to Kabul to process special immigrant Visa, SIV, applications. Reality. At the height of the evacuation, evacuation, only 36 United States consular officers were on the ground in Kabul, despite needing to process more than 100,000 evacuees during the Trump administration, the State Department 
warned that 50 employees were needed to address the backlog. Claim that's the reality. Number claim number eight. At the president's direction, the entire interagency pushed the to accelerate the SIV program, and did so, surging resources to its to this virtual program, restarting SIV interviews paused by the previous administration, increasing the number of staff processing SIV applications by more than 15-fold, and reviewing every stage of the cumbersome application process. Reality. By the time the evacuation began, only 1,962 SIV applicants and their families were evacuated from the country out of tens of thousands who were still waiting. Claim number nine. Biden's decision to leave Afghanistan freed up critical military intelligence and other resources to counter terrorist threats around the world, including in Syria, Iraq, Somalia, and Yemen. Reality. Biden has created the world's largest petri dish of terrorism. Al-Qaeda and the ISIS-K are operating in every single province of Afghanistan. Con- Contum... Commander General Kola recently testified that they were able to conduct attacks on Americans in the region within six months with little to no warning. The Biden administration also failed to secure agreements with any of the Afghanistan's neighbors that would allow the United States military to establish bases to allow to for robust counterterrorism or intelligence surveillance and reconciliance (ISR) operations against a resurgent al-Qaeda and ISIS-K. Claim number 10. When the president made the decision to leave Afghanistan, some worried that doing so would weaken our alliances or put the United States at the disadvantage on the global stage. The opposite has happened. Our standing around the world has significantly been greater, as evidenced by multiple opinion surveys. Reality. 57% of foreign public Publics across 17 allied countries polled said what Biden's withdrawal was mishandled, including 62% of Canadians, 73% of Australians, 77% of Brits. Opinion of the United States plummeted between 2021 and 2022 in several counties. Countries. Countries throughout the Middle East have moved to strengthen alliances with Iran and China because they don't see us as a reliable partner anymore. It remains shocking to me that not a single of official in the Biden administration has resigned or been fired over the uh, debacle of the Afghanistan withdrawal. Biden will not take responsibility for the debacle of the Afghanistan withdrawal, but his legacy is clear. 13 American service members died. At least 1,000 Americans were left behind enemy lines and millions left to suffer under the brutal rule of the Taliban. And I completely agree. Biden's complete failure in Afghanistan is was just a a little trick up his sleeve and a little hint to for what's to come during his administration because with him falling up the stairs, with Joe Brandon falling in Delaware, it's just been a complete disaster. Joe Biden pooping himself at the Pope's house. Like, it's just a complete disaster all around the Biden administration with Jen Sucky Sucky, the former White House press secretary, and now Karen Jean Pears, now being the White House press secretary. Everybody around is the most incompetent people that I've ever saw in the history of the all of the administrations of the president. 
With that being said, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Demetrius Rujo Show. Thank you all for watching, and I hope that you enjoyed the show. If you did enjoy the show, please like and subscribe down below because I do post new episodes of the show every single Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. This episode and all episodes of the Demetrius Rujo Show is copyright Rujo Studios. Thank you all for watching, and I hope they have a great rest of your day.